let me begin by just a word of just a word of thankfulness, both of God's providence and uh, His providence in your kindness over these last seven years. You have loved me and my family so so very well. Whether it was in our first home getting flooded the month we moved in twice. Um, in our first pregnancy resulting in a miscarriage, our two kids, the death of dad. You guys have been such an instrumental part of our lives, both individually and together as, as a family. And just want to say thank you. May us will hold a deep and treasured place in our lives from here forth. So in thinking about a farewell sermon or last word, I just wanted us to, to intake a healthy dose of gospel this morning. No, no need to think about what to do or how weak we are, but simply to look at our Savior this morning. It's what this church has reminded me of, encouraged me in. It's what they've consoled me in. It's what they lifted me up in for the past seven years. I, I don't think of any other way to leave this wondrous body than looking at our great Savior. So Romans 5 will be our passage this morning. Romans 5, not the whole chapter, that's a bit long. I won't keep you for that long. We'll look at particularly verses 6 through 11. The title of this sermon is The Source of Confident Hope. The Source of Confident Hope. This passage has been of great, great consolation and strengthening for me lately. And um, it might be one of, like if, you, if you ask me, what, if you had one sermon to preach, what would be it? And this, this will be it. So I got three simple points for you this morning. The how of our justification, the wow of our reconciliation, and the now of our exaltation. The how of our justification, the wow of our reconciliation, the now of our exaltation. Let me read our passage this morning and then pray for the Lord's blessing on our time. Romans 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by his life, by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, what an what a privilege it is to gather with, with your people, with your saints on the Lord's Day, week in and week out, to sing of your wonder, to sing of your majesty, to sing of your glory, the redemption we have in Christ Jesus. God, would you bless this time as we consider our confident hope that Christ died for the ungodly. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Just for a few quick um, notes of context, because um, Romans 5 is, is such a glorious passage. There's a lot to kind of think about in Paul's flow of, of thought. If you notice there in verses 1 through 5, Paul is elaborating on the fruits and blessings of our justification. When you look there, you see peace with God, access through Jesus, security in Christ, and hopeful rejoicing. And really, that's just what Hebrews is, is doing in the book, right? It's just elaborating on this peace and access we have through our better mediator. Second, there's, there's an important point that Paul wants to, to communicate. He makes clear in earlier chapters, really in chapter 3, that one of our main problems is our boasting or our rejoicing in the wrong things. Our disordered loves is our problem. But we've been justified by faith. This is what chapter 4 all sought to, to cover and show. But important to remember that faith is not the ground of our justification, as if faith is another work. No, faith is the instrumental cause that God uses. God and God alone is the true ground of our justification. We're able to now truly boast and truly rejoice in our greatest and surest love, God himself, because we have been justified by faith in Christ. And this boasting and rejoicing is not just cerebral, right? It's ex- ex- um, experiential, too. Like, we, we know it. We feel it. Notice the string of how boasting occurs there in the first couple verses of chapter 5. Not only do we boast in the glory of God, but we exult in sufferings of all things. Because now we are assured that suffering produces character. Character produces hope. And this hope is it's no wishful or fanciful thinking. No, this is an assured confidence. Because, not of how, how strong our hope is, but because of God's objective work in Christ on our behalf. We're able to boast because we have an unchangeable God that keeps his promises. Finally, there in in verse 5, you see that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It comes all the way down. It comes all the way down to where we are. This is where Paul picks up in verse 6, as weak, ungodly, sinners, helpless, So this is our first point, the how of our justification. These descriptors of weak and sinners and ungodly highlight on the one hand that we are in 
no way fit or worthy for God's eye of mercy to look upon us. Yet, on the other hand, it highlights that God's eye of mercy looked upon us before we made any move toward him. The commentator notes, it is this love that has been poured out by God. This love is not constrained by commendable qualities in the sinner. Not even qualities which they would one day exhibit by the power of God's grace. It is an antecedent love. Because it is the love presupposed in the death of Christ for them while they were still sinners. It's what was noted earlier, right? That faith is not the ground of our justification. God is. Because that is so, it is emphatically that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Moreover, Paul says that Christ's death was at the right time. Christ died for us at the right time. It was the appointed time, the time of our helplessness. It was the fullness of time wherein God sent his son. It was a time of consummation by which the divine purpose of the ages converge. The exhibition of God's wisdom and love are bound up now in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The mystery of God has been revealed for us in Christ's death. The how of our justification is that Christ died both as our representative, as verses 12 through 21 will elaborate later in the chapter, but also as our substitute. Christ's death for his enemies atoned for their sin and satisfied the punishment due therein. Listen to this closely from an old friend. He says, this is redemption. In the most tender mercy of God towards sinners, our mediator, Christ Jesus, satisfied God's immovable justice in God's immutable truthfulness, whereby the absolute surety of our salvation was taken upon the spotless lamb of God. That is redemption. The greatness of God and his unconditional love is on display there in verses 7, description of mankind and our conditional love. Our love is feeble. It's disordered. It's, it's conditioned upon something else. Now, I won't get into the scholarly debate about what exactly the righteous and the good person is, uh, what Paul means by the righteous and good person, but simply that Paul is highlighting the vast difference, the vast otherness of God's love from human love. God's love is demonstrated by his all-sufficient and unconditional and perfect love dying for sinners. It's important to note that it is only this type of love. Your love won't do. And it's, it's not just any love. It's this love that covers a multitude of sins. It's divine love. It is love that is of God himself, that is God himself. The only adequate love in the person of Jesus that can be our provision the independent, timeless, and immutable love of God. This is so crucial to understand because God wasn't compelled or coerced to send his son and pour out his spirit. Now remember, God is not moved or affected by anything outside of himself. Rather, it is the immeasurable well of goodness and blessedness and majesty that God pours out his grace unto needy sinners like you. I mean, why else would... 
Paul erupts into praise at the end of Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, the wisdom, and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This demonstration of God serves both to strengthen our soul's confidence in God, but also serves to elicit consolation in the merciful God. In the fullness of time and in Trinitarian love, God the Father sends the Son to accomplish redemption. And through the Son, sends the Spirit to apply this redemption. All of this, and so much more, friend, is done to us who are weak and frail and helpless enemies of God. So this is, this is the how of justification. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Next, in verses 9 through 10, you'll see the wow of our reconciliation. Paul is using the lesser to the greater argument. That is, if one thing is true, how much more is something else? Paul uses this here to say, since we have now been justified by Christ's death, how much greater certainty will we be saved from wrath through him? His logic is this. Justified by his blood, saved from wrath. Reconciled by death, saved by his life. Christ's death overcame the, the deep hostility between us and God and transformed the ungodly into family. Friend, it is only through Christ's atonement that we are now friends of God. And since this is so, how much more efficacious it will be that God will preserve us. His friends... To the end. He points us to, the, to this reality through the word now in verse 9. It indicates an accomplished reality that Christ's death and resurrection achieved. The obstacles of sin and death have now been removed so that we can now have confidence. You see this, you see this whole change view on what is true. There's a new reality that we have now. We are not guilty in Christ, and we will be saved from the final judgment because we are in Christ. So here's the wow of our reconciliation. Justification declares us righteous on account of Jesus, and reconciliation declares us friends of God Almighty. At the same time, at the right time, Christ died for his enemies, for sinners. And in doing so, our guilt is taken away. It's taken away, and it's taken away now. Instead of God's righteous judgment, we receive divine consolation. What other consolation do we hope for? But a good question to ask is, in what way will Christ's life save us from the wrath to come? What does that mean? Well, remember in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that Jesus was vindicated at his resurrection. He was proven to be the righteous son of God in his victory over sin and death. He was vindicated. Now, those who are justified by faith in Jesus are united to him. 
If that's is true, those who are united to him by faith are now identified with and they participate in Christ Jesus by faith. That means you're united to the same vindication and resurrection of his. For instance, you have been justified. You have peace with God. Christ's death is your death. And Christ's life is also yours. Paul is simply elaborating what he said in uh, verse, verse 25 of chapter 4. Being identified with and participating in Christ's death and resurrection are fundamental elements of the believer's justification. Your justification now and your resurrection of life to come are inseparable. They go together. You can't have one without the other. Verse 11, we're going to look at the now of our exaltation. Now of our exaltation. Paul is continuing this lesser to greater arguments with um, the present reality of our rejoicing in God. In these first 11 verses of chapter 5, Paul says that because we've been justified and reconciled, we are to rejoice in hope, in trials and sufferings, in the development of our character, and now finally we are to rejoice in God himself. Remember, this is more than just wishful thinking. It's a sure confidence that we experience now. See that phrase, the present reality of all of this, what, what is true in Christ is, is true now. Glorying knows no restraint and cannot be too exaggerated when it, is, when it is in God through Jesus. It is only that God is the object of this glorifying. It is not only that he is the ground of it. It is in union and fellowship with him as our own God, the glorying is conducted. You see, there is a great exchange happening here. There's a great exchange of your sin and your guilt being transferred to Christ, Christ's perfect righteousness being transferred into your account. This is the glory exchange. This is the source of our confident hope. You, the weak sinner, are delivered via the satisfactory sacrifice of your substitute. There's a lot of S's for you. You are delivered via the satisfactory sacrifice of your substitute. Follows then... That reconciliation, peace, life, and oh, so much more are yours now and forever. Your friendship with God has been restored by your great high priest. But notice that there is no exhortation here from Paul. There's no quote to do here. Paul is simply describing the glories of our justification And in doing so, he is casting our eyes heavenward. The theme of hope and rejoicing and exultation and boasting is a common one for Paul because now it has been reordered, right, since we've been justified by faith. He's now centering upon what is is sort of the ground, what is the the fundamental reality of this, this, this boasting. He's exulting in God himself through Jesus Christ who has brought us reconciliation. You see this train of of thought here. All glory and blessing flow from this divine life, says Calvin, for God is not only the chief of all good things, but also possesses in himself the sum and substance of all blessings. 
and he becomes ours through Christ. In Christ, there is nothing wanting to us as to happiness. There's nothing wanting. Now, considering verse 11, I'm sure there's more, but think with me about three points of context, three points of application here from verse 11. For those that struggle with the assurance of salvation, remember, just as your justification and reconciliation are presently true, so also your rejoicing and your exaltation of this reconciliation is also present. We don't need to wait until Christ's return, nor do we need to reach a certain Christian status before we can truly rejoice in God. You don't need to clean yourself up to enjoy the inheritance of the saints in light. And important to note is that this rejoicing in God isn't always going to look like happy-go-lucky joy. Sometimes it's going to look like God upholding you by your whole body, carrying you through these sufferings, and you can rejoice in those times. Friend, you can and should rejoice now because you have now received reconciliation. For those that struggle with apathy or boredom of these divine matters, remember the grave state that you were in and Christ died for you. Remember the grave state you were in when God called you out from the miry pits by his Holy Spirit to show you the glory and the beauty of his Son. And remember now the blessed state you reside in, that is Christ's unshakable kingdom with these brothers and sisters. You reside in it now. So if if that's you, that you struggle with apathy or boredom, ask the Lord to restore the joy of your salvation. He will see to it. He will. For those who are here listening to this from Romans 5 and are struck to the heart that you have no peace with God, you are not justified by his blood, nor are you reconciled as his friend. Don't fret. The Savior, the Reconciler, the Mediator is abounding in steadfast love and mercy. You can call upon his name today and receive this glorious justification. You can now be called friend by God Almighty. Because when you pass from this earth and Christ returns, it will be too late. When Christ returns, he is coming in glory and judgment to make all things new according to his good pleasure. So, friend, call upon his name today. He will see to it. Finally, let me offer eight final commendations from the death of Christ from an old friend. Final commendations, eight of them, from the death of Christ. First, meditate on the suffering and death of Christ, your mediator. This is the one thing Paul says that we are to boast in, that we are to rejoice in. Christ and him crucified. It's the very thing the angels long to look into. And its contents are the very substance that make us holy and blameless and friends of God. It's the very substance that awakens our conscience. It it captures our affections. And it pours into the souls, pours into our souls the immeasurable love of God. So, friend, meditate and fill your souls with your mediator. 
Second, in the death of Christ for sinners, boast in God alone. The death of Christ for sinners unravels and makes clear the great mystery of God. God's perfect love and justice are now satisfied and complete in this death of Christ for sinners. For in the most stunning subversion, the death of Christ is the eternal light that quickens our souls in the defeat of death and sin. The deep wisdom of God, the broad providence of God, the majestic holiness of God, the perfect justice of God, the immeasurable love of God, the infinite power of God, and the supreme truthfulness of God is manifest most clearly and wondrously in the death of Christ our Lord. Third, savor the blessedness of being united to your substitute. Savor the blessedness of being united to your substitute. Friend, how great is your deliverance from such a host of evils? Your deliverance is that Christ Jesus substituted himself on your behalf. He bore your sins and griefs, your sorrows and diseases. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. And he was smitten by God, all so that we may have peace with God, so that we would be reconciled. Now that this is true, friend, who can condemn you? His death is yours, and his life is yours. United to him, you are kept forever. Fourth, see the mystery of Christ's enemies, declare and display the gospel to them. Plead with those who are not yet reconciled to look upon him whom they have pierced with their sins. Plead with them to see how great the Lord is, how gracious is his forgiveness, and how pleasing and Wonderful and satisfying, Jesus, your friend is. Fifth, see the death of Christ as a comfort against adversaries. See the death of Christ as a comfort against adversaries. Consider how much more comforting it is to the soul that Jesus endured all of, all of the adversaries' assaults. And he suffered and endured these for us and for our salvation. Without sinning himself, he endured the assaults of hell so that by his sufferings, he took away the sting of death. And in doing so, we can now say, this present reality, we can now say, O oh death, where is your sting? Furthermore, now, in a crazy way, all the efforts of the adversaries work for our good. Since we've been justified by his blood and will be saved by his life, these assaults from our adversaries are working for our good. Sixth, imitate Christ in all things. Imitate Christ in all things. We're reminded of Gandalf's words here. Saruman believes it is only great power that can hold evil in check. That's not what I found. It is the small, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Small acts Kindness, love. The death of Christ for the ungodly has a forward reference, if you will, to the ethical or moral dimension. In other words, the wonders of reconciliation include living a virtuous life by faith in your mediator. The death of Christ stirs up within us zealousness for godly living in faith, hope, and love. Remember Paul's words to Titus. 
speaking of Jesus, our mediator, gave himself up for us to redeem us from the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Friends, see the death of Christ as the all-powerful source that you can put to death what is earthly in you and put on what is of Christ. You can do this now in Christ. Seventh, gladly receive the immeasurable love of the Holy Trinity. William Ames has one of my favorite quotes of all time. He says, God in his sufficiency and efficiency are the pillars of faith, the prompts of comfort, the incitements of piety, and the surest marks of true religion. God in his sufficiency and efficiency are the pillars of faith, the prompts of comfort, the incitements of piety, and the surest marks of true religion. The infinite Holy Spirit captures our conceptions and affections, and he unites us to the Son while glorifying him in whom they died. And in the Son, the Son of whom they united, they are awakened to the glory of the Father who is rich in blessedness and benevolence. You see this triune God at work even here in Romans 5. We have peace with God through our mediator, Christ Jesus, through whom we exult in the Spirit who God poured out on us. Friend, find rich contentment in the abundant and steadfast mercy of the triune God. Don't go searching for something else for contentment. You have been swept up into the boundless and immeasurable love of the Holy Trinity. There's no loopholes or addendums or caveats. The whole love of the whole God is yours for complete satisfaction. Eighth and finally, remember, Christ died for you, and he calls you friend. I've said this a few times, or many times, but it bears repeating. All that God is, all that God has, he has given to you, Christian, in Christ Jesus. All that God is, all that God has, he's given to you in Christ Jesus. You have divine tranquility, divine peace, divine comfort, divine joy, divine consolation, because you are now friends of God Almighty. As his people, we receive all the inheritance attributed to Christ. As his sheep, we receive his paternal care and protection. As his church, we are held fast by the Spirit. And as his redeemed, we are purified of all sins. God is yours, and you are his. So remember, friend, Christ died for you, and he calls you friend. As his friend, he welcomes you to this table to be nourished and be reminded of the grace of Christ in this pilgrim journey. As his holy and beloved, you have peace with God through Jesus Christ, and he has poured out his spirit to uphold you. This meal is a memory of Christ's broken body and shed blood that accomplished your justification. This meal is a present reality that strengthens and nourishes you even now. This meal is a future longing 
For those who have been justified will see him face to face. So if you are a Christian, if you have been justified by Christ's blood, if you have been reconciled, we call it friends of God, then Christ welcomes you to his table. If you're not that, if you're not justified by his blood, if you're not a friend of God, if this passage from Romans 5 has, has, has pierced you to the heart, then we ask you to remain in your seats because this meal is not for you. Jesus is for you. So anyone who comes up here and partakes in elements, ask them. Ask them what it means to be a friend of God. Ask them what it means to be consoled by Christ Jesus. So those who are Christians, we'll start here in the front row. We'll exit to your right. Um, receive the elements. We'll go row by row to the top. I want to pray. Um, <clears throat> pray a prayer of blessing uh, upon this, this wonderful church. And it's a prayer that I uh, wrote for, for my kids. And I pray each night. And... Um, Let this serve as our prayer before we come to the Lord's table. And to the praise of the Holy Trinity, may the Lord bless you and keep you in the love of God, to be filled with the knowledge of God, to walk in a manner worthy of him. May the Lord make his face to shine on you in the grace of Jesus Christ, to be strengthened with all power, to sit and gaze at the beauty of God. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace and the fellowship of the Spirit to subvert the assaults of hell, your patience, joy, confidence in God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.